Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. If you want interesting and entertaining debate on the Premier League and other English leagues, but from a show that doesn't take itself too seriously, then check out The Whistleblowers. It's a weekly football podcast hosted by me. I used to play football, Martin Gritton, uh, stand-up Mark Smith when he can, and music manager Gareth Dobson, who uh, always has plenty of good chat, being a Spurs fan. Um, we basically get football writers in to have a chat as well, and we talk about the stories that matter in English football, whether it's on the pitch or off it. It's free to listen to iTunes, Acast, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, or you can download the Whistleblowers app. Follow us on Twitter at Football Podcast. Cheers. Hello, and welcome to Stop Hammer Time. And it's another victorious Stop Hammer Time this week, getting into the winning habit with me, Jim Grant. Good evening. Hello, Jim. Hiya. Are you buoyed with uh, with the triumph of the weekend's uh, result? Uh, are we talking about the election or the, or the football? Well, both. They happened on the same day, didn't they? They did. Very, um, very encouraging day. Yeah, very good, yeah. Um, also, uh, yeah. also, and this, this, uh, this, um, all things, all, all things come to go. All things conflate in a in a in a coming together of circumstance. Because uh, uh, also joining us this week, it is a writer, broadcaster, journalist, uh, author, entrepreneur, and podcaster, Sam Delaney. Hi, hello, hello, Phil, hello, Jim. It's so great to be here with you again. And of course, uh, on Sam's TV show, Sam Delaney's uh, news thing, I played Donald Trump. Yeah, and that was quite oh, near yeah. the beginning of his term, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. We, uh, I, I was, uh, we were talking about him on uh, the radio show, weren't we? Uh, the talk radio show. Yeah. And uh, in saying that he talked funny, I sort of did him a bit, and uh, and sort of did him sort of all right, you know. And so we thought, well, why don't we um, put me in a fat suit and do it on the television? So we did. We did, and it was it was funny that. Um, but good job, you know, you didn't pin everything to it because he might just be disappear. With any luck, he'll disappear out of public life now. That's which right. Would be good for the rest of the world. But if you've really built a career on <laughs> on Donald Trump impersonations, you'd be a bit worried right now, wouldn't you? That's right. Alec Baldwin's gone about it the right way, isn't he? In yeah. that he sort of built 
quite a comprehensive portfolio of a career before he began his job as a Donald yeah. Trump. As quite yeah. a poor yeah. Donald Trump impressionist, I think. Yeah. 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 It would be like being Mike Yarwood when Margaret Thatcher turned up. <laughs> he was yes. Lost, wasn't he? he yes. Wilson, the, Wilson was. Did he do Callahan? Yeah, he did Callahan, but he, he couldn't do. He obviously. He couldn't do yeah. Thatcher. He no. did Heath, didn't he? He did Heath. Yeah, he did Heath. Uh, he Steve did the kind Nallon. of shaky shoulder thing with Heath. That's right, yes. Steve Nallon did um, uh, Thatcher for Spinning Image, didn't he? Did he? Oh yeah, I saw that in the documentary. Yeah, yeah. That was and there was one woman who played, who actually played mm. her in Vision all the time. But I can't yes. remember what was her name. There was just one who was the specialist, wasn't she? Yes. Jan Ravens was it? Did Jan Ravens do it? Jan Ravens is a female impressionist. No, she's more modern era, isn't she? she yeah. Was... Nah, no. Nah, this is oh, an eighties one. I could picture who you mean. I can't remember yeah. her name. Um. No, no. Oh, well. well, anyway, I suppose now you've got to start working on your Joe Biden impression, but it seems like there's less to work with there. No, that's right. He's in terms less, of uh, like amusing mannerisms and so on. He's more yeah. of your generic president. He looks like someone playing a president in a Hollywood movie about a president. He does, yeah. yeah. Well, was, like a, a president who's come back after having been the pre- you know, like a, on the comeback trail, like an aging president. Uh, yeah, who's had to be called out last, for one last, one last mission. Yes. Well, of course, Joe Biden was the youngest person to run for president and is the oldest, (laughs) (laughs) which is a which is a fantastic. I think he ran for president at something like 31 Mm. in about 1931. (laughs) uh, He's run, uh, obviously, in uh, 2020 at the age of 120, uh, which is uh, is sort of extraordinary. Yes. um, Sorry, just briefly, um, just on a quick search, and Janet Brown was the. Ah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, Janet Brown was a Scottish actress, comedian, and impressionist who gained considerable fame in the 1970s and 1980s for impersonations of Margaret Thatcher. She was the wife of Peter Butterworth, best known for his appearances in the Carry On films. Butterworth died in 1979, and Brown never remarried. Well, why? Why would she have done? No. I mean, once, once you've been married to Butterworth, yeah, I mean, can't go back. No man's gonna live up to that. I, I, I mean, in all honesty, I absolutely love Peter Butterworth, uh, particularly when he plays the uh, Spanish hotelier in Carry On Abroad. Um, I uh, can't picture. Can't okay. picture. It's Kenneth Connor and Bernard Breslau, and obviously Peter Butterworth has a comedic face. Look him up, right. mate. Mm. Have you got Google now, Phil? Because you never used to have the Google, did you? Have no. you got it now? Still not? No. Don't no, no. trust it? Is it a trust thing or...? No, I don't, I don't trust it. No, no. Right. This is. Uh, I'm currently using Skype on an old rotary phone. Good. Yeah, it's probably most. <laughs> that way the government can't steal your thoughts. That's exactly, exactly. Mm. That's right. Um, uh, of course, I co-wrote a sort of sell-through video for Spitting Image all about Euro 96. Really? Me and my friend Georgia Pritchett, who uh, uh, put a picture up of herself yesterday on Facebook with Joe Biden. Wow. Wow. Because she wrote for Veep. Uh, oh, and right. did stuff in and around the White House quite a lot. And one day Biden was there when she just wow. met Joe Biden. Uh, but she and I wrote this thing for Spitting Image called uh, From FA to Fair Play. And it was a sell-through VHS, later DVD, for Spitting Image. It was one of the last things Spitting Image did. I will look that up on eBay, mate. 
Mm. <laughs> um, it's got some funny bits in it. Uh, it's got sort of lots of. Um, it's got every goal from the tournament in it. Every single goal from the tournament is in that vid, and it has match reports from Keith Richards, Bjork. Uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier's, you know. <laughs> so, so it'll have something like, you know, Spain v Croatia summarised by Bjork. <laughs> it's, it's, funny. It's, it's, yeah. it's quite funny. It's sort of anchored by Des Lynham. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, we were, we were pleased with it, you know. Um, anyway, shall we? Yeah. We played uh, the Hams, played the Cottages at the weekend, and uh, we squeaked past them with a, with a 1-0 win. Um, what do we make of that? Well, I thought it, it, it was a deserved win. Let's be clear about that before we start to sort of look at some of the negatives. But um, um, and, and on another day, we, we, we started with such a blitzkrieg that we could easily have been two or three up. Um, and, the, and it would have been a very comfortable win. As it was, the longer the game went on, the more frustrating it uh, it got. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's true. But, you know, Liverpool scratched a win out against us the week before. Yes. It sort of made, it shows you that, you know, even the great teams, of which we are not one, but even the great teams just have to win that way you cannot go through a season no. winning everything in spectacular fashion in some think, ways yeah in some ways you know we 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 flew out against them um and just like we we kind of flew out against Leicester and Wolves and, and we got those goals and Spurs did it to us and sometimes if you're playing a team who you know are going to sit back which we hadn't done really we hadn't come up against the team no. Who who no. who would who would have been approaching a game in a defensive way since the first day of the season against Newcastle? So it's a really interesting prospect this game. See how um, uh, see how uh, Moyes would approach it. Yeah, I think and, that's, I think, and, I think, and, and I think that he didn't change the lineup or the shape of the team particularly, but he did. They did sort of think, let's just fly at them. And and swarm all over them and try and get those early goals in the, in the way Tottenham did against us when they yes. went three 0 up. And you know we and like you say it was the width of a crossbar. It was a couple of amazing saves from the keeper. I mean we created more chances in the first sort of twenty minutes of that game than than we often do in entire ninety minute matches. So it's yeah. all it's all very fine margins, isn't it? Really, the it fact is, that we yeah. kept winning, we kept plugging away till the end, and yeah. that Moyes tried threw on the subs early, tried a couple of different things that eventually paid off. That was encouraging. Yes. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I was watching it on Zoom with with uh, quite a few people, and and you know, so there was sort of frustration at the fact that we were failing to break through, and and it was sort of deemed, you know, sort of a, a you know a, a sort of bad performance until we eventually won the game, and uh, then you know, in social media, there was a bit of kind of disappointment. But I was thinking, you know, exactly like you say, in a sense. When we played Wolves, Wolves, Leicester and Spurs, those teams would have been thinking, OK, this is the sort of game we should win. This is West Ham United. We should win this game. Mm. Similarly, Fulham, 
you know, everyone's kind of thinking we should beat them, but their tails are up. Uh, they won their last fixture. And the kind of, you know, the narrative in the big picture is that they, you know, they build on last week's success with a with a win against unpredictable West Ham United. But as you say, Sam, like Liverpool scratching out performance against us, we just ground out the win against them. We stayed in the game and we scored in the last minutes. And, you yeah. know... I mean, Fulham offered very little. Did, I mean, particularly, <clears throat> I mean, the first half was quite an entertaining open game, actually. Yeah. And they had one or two moments, Mitrovic had a header that went by, they put a sort of crossing, but they, I don't think they got a shot on target in the first half. And they che- they seemed to change the way they wanted to play. They, they, they very much sat back and tried to hit us on the break um, second half. And that made it more difficult in terms of breaking them down and finding, picking passes and, and, and so on. I mean, once again, I think our final ball needed to be better. The, the crossing was a bit hit and hope. And Moyes mentioned that. Uh, yes, it was a bit, yeah. Um, um, but, and then of, course, um, then, of course, our bacon was saved by uh, Adimola Lookman. Uh, yeah, who'd been a threat. <laughs> game to be fair yes yeah. yeah he was sort of busy and good um huh. and Adamola yeah. don't look man <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah just get that just came look away now man yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i knew i i knew he was gonna miss i knew Did you? i Did said he's gonna miss this well look mitrovic usually takes penalties but i believe he'd missed last week or he'd missed recently and so they had made the rash decision to replace him but that deep into injury time, right, when yeah. you're, you're a club like Fulham where you're thinking, God, we are desperate for this point. They felt aggrieved because our goal had heavy shades of offside, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But, yeah. you know, th- this is a massive, massive moment. They know it's the last kick of the game. Mitrovic, right, the tough, terrifying Serb, Right, is the guy that you want stepping up to take that penalty. Yeah, yeah. Whether he bloody scored it, whether he missed the last one or not, Mitrovic is the sort of man who is able to eradicate memories like in an instant. I mean, Mitrovic strikes me as the sort of man who's probably seen terrible things that no man should ever see. Exactly. And yet he's lived to tell the tale. (laughs) Right. Right. And and system, his system for, for just getting on with life is that he's just he can cancel these things. He can forget about them. It's like they never happened. He can, if he has a bad game, he just tattoos a verse from the Bible yeah. on one of his yeah. biceps exactly and just gets yeah. on with it. That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> he's like, you know who he's like? He's like the Robert De Niro character in Dead Calm. Um, I don't know if you remember that Scorsese film, but like, you know, the psych- psychopath released from jail. Yeah, That's what no, he's like. it's not called Dead Calm. Is it Dead Calm's Billy Zane? Or oh, what? yeah, uh... Cape Fear. Cape Fear. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Robert De Niro in Cape Fear is what Mitrovic is like, right? And there is no way he's going to, like, bottle it. But they've said, oh, no, we'll let the new lad take it. Now, the new lad, he's new. You know, it's a huge amount. You look quite young. He was a skillful player. But the intensity of the pressure is the new boy in the team, right, to step up. Uh, and think, oh, no, I'm taking big Mitrovic's place as penalty taker. And it was, I could, you can see, can't you? You can see the nerves. I thought it's a yeah. high-pressure penalty, this massive-pressure penalty. And it's the last minute, and he runs up. And I reckon he made the decision to chip that 
right at the last minute. I reckon he was midway through his run up when he suddenly oh, thought, yeah. oh, 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 bollocks, I might just chip it. Uh, it's fascinating because I I read him and that moment completely differently. I thought he was overconfident. I thought he was a. I think I thought he was cocky. He planned. I'm gonna I'm gonna dink it, and he just uh, fluffed it. I mean, it was was sort of like trying one of those um, whatever whatever those things are called. There's a name for them. Penenka. Penenka. I mean, it is like you kind of go. Fucking youth players shouldn't be doing them. I mean, like, you know, like, you know, Ravel or someone like that. Ah, you know yeah. who I play? It was bloody Paolo Di Canio invented them, didn't he? Yeah. Well, no. Penk, Penk. Penk and oh, Penk. yeah, that's why they call that. But <laughs> Canio, Di Canio was the first sort of serial user of that technique in the mm. Premier League that I can remember. I mean, he used to love it. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he did it every time. Because you no, can't no, do it every time they know, but he did like it once in a while. Yeah, but you know, unless you, unless you're Paolo Di Canio, don't do it. No, yeah, I mean, you know, the players. Are, I'm sure the players. I mean, Thierry Henry must have done one. Him and Perez did that. Oh, they fable. did a silly one together, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, you know, and um, you know, players with a bit of a cachet about them, or players that are naturally kind of bit of an arrogant sort of mindset like Paolo Di Canio but like Lookman is a young child who plays for England under 23. What, what, you're, what you're saying is you got to earn the right to Pirlo did it I think against England didn't he? Pirlo loved to do that but you know yeah. Pirlo is a very handsome man Yeah, and people will say Sam looks have got nothing to do with it well actually I happen to think they do I think if, if you're a particularly handsome like Pirlo was and stylish with the beard and all the rest of it then I think you can pull shit like that off oh but, yeah if you're very handsome I think you can go out with your flies undone you can yeah. slip on banana skins exactly. you can turn around with a plank so that it knocks someone over <laughs> you know you can you all you can take a custom all of that shit and no one cares no one bats an eyelid because they're just looking at you and thinking about how dreamy you are now I'm not saying Lookman is ugly. I'm not saying no. that. that. Not for a moment. I think he's he's a he's a he's a decent looking fella. Good looking right? young fella. Yeah, yeah. Nice, youthful fella. You know, any of the three of us would be grateful for looks that youthful. <laughs> right? Is he handsome enough though? And I'm no. talking about conventional Hollywood style handsome like Pirlo no. to take a penalty like that in the 94th no. minute of a game. No way. Not a chance. Who in the modern game do you think is handsome enough to take that kind of penalty? Great question. Very good question. Um, it is a great question. It's a great question. Uh, Giggsy? Giggsy? Uh, what are you talking about? Because he retired years ago. <laughs> You're really oh, yeah. struggling. Well, I'm sort of talking about so in the modern memories. But yes, no, maybe maybe actually in the modern game now. In the yeah. current Premier League. I, I would say James Cam- Rodriguez. Really? He's handsome, he's handsome enough to... You think uh, he's to, handsome yeah. enough? Yeah. I, I, I happen to think that we're going through a bad phase in the Premier League for handsomeness. I think that, you know, there was a time where we were blessed with lots of attractive players. You know, if you go back to David Ginola, Patrick Berger, yeah. um, and let's never forget Disco Danny. Um, yes. Uh, yes. You know, yes. And and so you got all of these lads, you know. It was there was they were all dreamboats. David James, of course, modelled for yeah. Armani, didn't he? Right, right. Um, lots of Jamie Redknapp, gorgeous. But now 
you look around and you think, where, where are the new lads coming through? Where Absolutely. are the chiseled features? You don't, you don't get it. You don't. Where's what the new they, David Beckham? What are they doing at oh. these training camps? <laughs> what are they doing? Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what? Where's the scouting? Where is the scouting? Well, you be- know, like in, in Spain, in La Liga, they approach you completely differently. You're spotted sometimes as young as. You know, like some some kids are spotted like when they're still they can't even walk yet, but they're spotted as potentially handsome for the future. <laughs> handsome footballers, yeah, right. And then they're put into the Spain National Academy. Yeah, right? yeah. Work on both their handsomeness and their close control. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of, I mean, some of the blame for Adimola Lookman's penalty must surely. A lot of the blame must lie with the parents. Uh, he's so young, and they. Why aren't they? Why wasn't he? Should have come off that pitch, and his mum should have gone. Should have back of his head. No, no. Take a pen like that again. Well, you know that's I, the, the game's moved on, and lots of people say, "Well, it's, it's for the better now. There's not so much violence and fouls and and all the rest of it," but. I mean, you know, I'm a bit too young, but some of the older lads will tell you uh, at West Ham. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Bobby Moore's parents, Bobby Moore's mum used to be waiting on the touchline after every game. She would be there in the tunnel and yeah. she, no, win, lose or draw, she would batter him. Yeah, yeah. Batter him also, senseless. She'd also um, spit on a handkerchief and wipe the mud off his face. But well. that was that was the Part East End way. That was the yeah. East End way back then, wasn't it? Yeah. The old East End, I mean, you know. And, uh, Mark Noble's uh, mum, uh, she came to all the games, and if Mark had a bad game, she would come and uh, batter Matt Jarvis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> would just batter him constantly yeah. around the face and neck with, <laughs> with an umbrella. I don't want you coming there, my boy, again. Mm. <laughs> I know you where get, your mum is. You're not good enough, your mum. Your confidence is gone. Get your confidence back. <laughs> she was assistant yeah. coach for a while, wasn't she? She, she was, yeah. Coach. She was great. But, you know, people, have, we've lost those traditions and it's a shame. Yeah. It is. Absolutely. Um, Mark Noble's mum should coach the female West Ham team. Yeah. Then they wouldn't sort of lose all the time. They they lose all the time. Players like don't live in in enough in a state of fear like they used no. to, and that as means they've lost like that extra ten percent. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, yeah. And that's fortunately for us is what happened with Lookman. Um, Yes, now, uh, Ale, yes, there was in a sort of, well, two, I mean, the officiating again is like, you know, in the last few weeks, offsides and handballs in the penalty area, but also just the amount of penalties in every single fucking game now. Disgusting. It's disgusting. The penalty thing is ridiculous, right? You know, the thing about penalties is, they, why do they exist, right? Penalties exist because really... Football should involve people. There shouldn't be penalties. People should just score proper, what I call organic goals, right? Yeah. So they introduce penalties because they say, look, if, if, if you're going to take the piss and actually cheat to stop a player from scoring a goal when they're inside the area, we're going to have to give them a free go on goal, right? Yeah. But these That's- are in extreme circumstances where you have explicitly cheated to, to stop them getting a goal, right? 
And even then, we're not going to give them the goal. We'll give them a chance of penalty. Right? That's why that's why penalties exist. Now, but it's not ideal. It's like a failure of the sport when a penalty has to be taken. Now, it feels to me that the rules at the moment are geared towards maximising the number of penalties yeah. that can be given. And really, as football fans, you don't really want to see penalties. You'd rather your team no. scored a goal no. got a penalty. And... If there is something that has clearly been done, whether that is someone sticking their hand out to block the flight of the ball in the area towards goal, um, if there is an obvious foul that has genuinely stopped the player who is about to shoot from shooting, right, yeah. and, has, and has genuinely physically stopped that player from doing that, that's kind of fine. But I, I would say it has to be quite... I, I think they shouldn't be making it easier to give penalties. I think they should be making it harder to give yeah, penalties. Yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, it's absolutely extraordinary. That's exactly right. A penalty should penalise the other team because uh, they have just taken away a goal-scoring opportunity. Now, it's it not to do with goal-scoring opportunities. It doesn't have to be a goal-scoring no. opportunity. What it has to no. be is you are inside the 18-yard box and someone, any degree, makes physical contact with you if you can yeah. call it that i mean in literally in the in the last you know two penalties that we've given away it's literally if they just touch you yeah and yeah. it doesn't matter whether you're facing the goal or not facing the goal doesn't matter if you're going to shoot or not going to shoot doesn't matter if you're in that 18 yard box and another player touches you that's it it's a penalty that's yeah. why i knew when it went to var and they showed the replay yeah it was always i didn't be. for one moment doubt i was just like that's a penalty and oh, my son, right. who's eight, he's trying to get his head around it, and he's going, but it, it wasn't a foul. I said, he, he said, is the ref making a bad decision? I said, well, not really, because the, I think that's the rule now. I think that it actually is a penalty. I'm not, I'm almost not complaining about the ref's interpretation because I think that really is a penalty. I don't think it was a mistake. No. So it's the rules that are insane. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's right. Um, I think that's right. I, I agree with everything you said. Um you know, the, the, because goals are such a rare commodity in football, a penalty is a disproportionately harsh punishment for a lot of offences, isn't it? Mm, um, exactly particularly right, yeah. the, the, the accidental handball thing. Yeah, insane. Um, I don't understand why they can't um, bring in a. I mean, if you know, Jim, if, just if to you be clear, to... you're not you're not saying goals are rare in football in any sort of disparaging way, are you? No, you're just no, saying no, no, that saying it's not like I mean. basketball or yeah. Iron exactly. football. The scores yeah, are not seven yeah. one six three. Exactly, and that's Absolutely. one of the things that makes football the best sport. Absolutely. Is that it's a golden moment. I mean, you Absolutely. watch basketball and it's like silly. I mean, you, yeah. how can you get excited about a point when they're scored like almost constantly? Totally so agree. That, that's what makes football magical. So why are they making it easier to score exactly, goals? Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, I think with the, I mean, the handball is the particularly crazy one. It seems to me where they've just got themselves into a total mess with it now. And yeah. uh, um, I think I don't see why they, unless it's clearly deliberate. I somebody dives to kind of save a goal, in which case that should be, of course, a penalty. Um, the one where somebody crosses it from three yards away from it, it just hits his outstretched arm because he's running along. Um, if that's got to be an offence because you can't quite tell whether it's, you know, whether there's intention or the arm's in an unnatural position, I don't see why that can't be an indirect free kick. And then at least yeah. you're, you're kind of, you're making the punishments feel more, more proportionate to the, yeah. to the effect. I mean, and the idea, it just happened to bump, hit my arm and ah, we almost certainly can see the goal because of that. Yeah, it? uh, it's just unbelievable. And I just want to know what the thinking is 
but well, for the people who create these rules, I don't yeah. understand what they're thinking. Is uh, you know, I I I think that you know when you hear old pros from the seventies going, oh wow, you know, in our day you could get away with bloody you know ripping someone's scrotum open with your with your teeth, and the ref wouldn't bat an eyelid. I don't. That's annoying. I don't want to go back to those days, right? Yeah. Uh, where everyone's like, you know, you see some of those. I mean, it wasn't funny when you see even Graham Sooners in the eighties playing for Glasgow Rangers. It's not funny the way they played. It was like horrible and te- you know, not not good to watch. But having said that, we all love to see you would che- you've cheered Julian Dick's robust tackling just as sort of you know excitedly as you've cheered a goal. That's true of any West Ham fan, and every club's got players like that. When you saw Martin Allen. Or Julian yeah. Dix flying into like real squash buckling tackles, the crowd would go mad almost like we'd scored, right? And I miss that from the game, but I understand that in order to promote exciting, skillful football, you probably had to get stricter on the tackles because skillful players got kicked out of the game too often and, and that was to the detriment of the football as a spectacle. So those the tightening of those rules perhaps has gone a little too far. But I understand why why they had to do it. But this penalty business is just absolutely... I cannot see... When they sit down and think about it, I can't see what it is they're trying to achieve. But well, let, let's mean, make it easier to give penalties. Well, there's... I mean, in a way, it's like there's a... there's a, a, What's changed is a kind of subconscious mindset. Because when you use the expression, say, a decade ago penalties change games, sending offs change games. Mm. You were saying that in a kind of um, uh, derogatory way. Now it's almost as if they're going, yeah, good, isn't it? Mm. You know, yeah. change, you know, we can change. there'll be more goals if we give these penalties. Good, isn't it? It does feel to me like they fiddle with the sport. I mean, you know, f- football was kind of fine. You can go back 20, 30, 40 years. It was still brilliant. It was still being watched by millions of people around the world stadiums had more people squashing into them then to watch football right yeah. it wasn't like football began with sky right football for, for, for a very long time has been the world's most famous form of uh, most favorite form of entertainment right so who are the people who think let's keep modifying let's keep refining let's keep tinkering right because <clears throat> i you know i don't really watch many other team sports but if you ever see rugby, which I don't make a habit of doing, but if you do, there seems to be, I mean, you two might know more about it than me. I don't understand the rules. In fact, I've got a sneaking suspicion. No one does, not even the players. <laughs> I've always thought those fucking players don't know what's going on. It's This is just a bun fight. <laughs> but there's a lot of stopping and starting. There seems three or four different ways to score points, right? And I wonder whether they look at things like cricket, rugby and the other sports and think, you know what? Football's a bit uneventful. So the Americans always took the piss, didn't they, and said, oh, well, you know, this yeah. is a mad sport where you can finish with no goals, you know, nil-nil. And no one should have listened to them because the foot, it must have been doing something right because it elevated itself to the world's favourite pastime, you know, in the space of its first 50 years. So it was obviously great. If it's not broke, don't fix it. But it feels to me like they're trying to make it so there are more stopping. There's more stops. There's more starts. There's more gaps. There's more ways to score points. I mean, if you're really cynical, you'd think, well, this is 
this is the influence of America and the desire for there to be more advertising. Possibly. In, in America, it stops and starts so much, they'll fit they'll fit ad breaks in non-stop all the way through because the game keeps stopping. It's only a matter of time before they start putting ad breaks in where there's a VAR. Yeah, where there's a VAR, yeah. 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 I mean, <clears throat> I think, um, well, what's so terrible about it, in my view, is that... Is that um, they've looked at these other sports uh, and, and brought the uh, video refereeing in and they've, they've arrogantly thought, well, we'll do it our way. Instead of actually looking at those sports and the way it gets used much more successfully in rugby and cricket um, and think, well, that's, you know, that, that's how we should use it. Um, they've gone their own way and it's an absolute mess. It's, it's just rubbish. And the offside, we haven't talked even about the offside ones, it's not, but they, you know, um, and we're, we're going way off West Ham, but that Bamford offside goal was just. If that had happened against West Ham, yeah. a player whose whose finger was offside because he was pointing uh, where he wanted the ball back. I'm, insane. That is absolutely outrageous that mm. that's that that's given. That decision was right in the in the first place. It was you know correct. what they should you know what they should do with the offside rule. They should make it really extreme and just say both players' feet, his whole all both entire feet have got to be. Beyond the last defender's feet, yeah. toes, right? Yeah, yeah. They've got to be beyond the defender's toes in order for them to be offside. Because what we're talking about, right? Why was the offside rule invented? Just to stop goal hanging, right? First of all, which, by the way, would never happen in today's football and the way and the way teams operate and are coached. You could get rid of the offside rule. You wouldn't have some player just hanging around up front waiting for tappings. They wouldn't, it's just not the way football would work. But anyway, I'm not saying eradicate the offside. Well, I am, but we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> right? What I'm saying is, is that, again, you want to encourage more goals, natural goals that, that you know just happen organically. So you're talking about a striker being able to time his run to the split second, right? Is well, a, yeah, yeah. Is it, a striker is effectively having to perform a, a fairly complex mathematical equation in a split second yeah. by working out when to begin his run at a certain speed, right, in order to meet the ball at the correct point and he can't pass the defender before yeah. the ball arrives, right? So that's quite a big ask. I would say, we'll just say that there's clear blue water between there has to be, he has to, to be yeah. counted offside. Both feet need to be in front of the last defender's completely in front of his I think feet. that will come completely. I think something well like that it was come. that for a while wasn't it clear daylight they yeah. said you know it well, was that, that, that was a suggestion I think Arsene Wenger might have been involved in proposing that but it was never the law it was never the rule but um, it was certainly it's certainly sure. been suggested yeah. um, we'll carry on with this after this message If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. 
cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back. Uh, yes, of course, we had one of those uh, in the game, an offside decision, because we were um, the happy recipients of a decision that went our way in that uh, Allaire was deemed, uh, I guess, not to be interfering with play because he yeah. was marginally but, in the <coughs> position. That, that's insane. When you look at what happened last week when Liverpool scored their winner, right? Yeah. There were players stood in an offside position who were deemed not to be interfering with play. I actually thought that was a little bit unfair. I, I, I pretty much think if there are players standing near the goalkeeper, even if they're not near the ball, you're interfering with play because you're affecting the way the goalkeeper positions himself, the way the goalkeeper's thinking. Absolutely. You're distracting defenders. Well, yeah. So I thought we got unlucky. But their goal was given, right? And so that cost us. And then this week, again, the cross comes in. And Scott Parker had it right. You know, how can... Uh, of course, Haller's affect him play because the cross was too Haller. Yeah. The defender, yeah. the only yeah. reason the defender headed it is because he was trying to stop Haller getting there. And, yeah. and the defensive header fell to the feet of Ben Rama and the goal came a second later. Yeah. So I just don't understand it. I thought it was very gracious of David Moyes to... To have yeah, it was. It. We mentioned that. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's interesting because you know, I, I there was a, a bit of a I launched into a slightly furious rant last week, that, that suggesting that Liverpool actually, um, so, you know, kind of drill these things uh, um, to deliberately exploit the active, non-active. Um, nature of the off offside rule. You know, there, I talked about this goal that they scored against us a couple of seasons ago, I think up there that I saw, where where our players sort of stood and watched. <laughs> there were like four Liverpool players all offside and the one that was least offside scored the goal. And it was because they were sort of running past each other and cutting it back so that then the person they cut back to isn't offside because they're behind the ball. And I think Liverpool sort of do that now. I think it's a deliberate training gown thing because essentially you go, if we put this cross across, over and you you all run uh it's only the one it goes to who's active mm. do you know mm. what i mean it's like well surely that can't be you know retrofitted that they're only active because they get the ball because if they get the ball and they're in an offside you know position they sort of start in an offside position um you know you can't you can't, it's difficult to legislate for that, you know. Yeah, it's a clever, it's, it's a clever use of the rules, but it seems a bit kind of. Yeah, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. I'm sure they are drilling it, and and it's the whole thing is compounded by the fact that the linesmen don't put their flags up now until the whole kind of phase of play is over. Yeah. As it were, so VAR, the fact that there's VAR is dictating the way the officials officiate on the field and that shouldn't be that way around yeah if the linesman thinks it's offside you put his bloody flag up uh, ah, of course yeah i mean imagine being a linesman you got grief for doing your job but now you're getting grief yeah. for not doing it you know exactly. i mean if they at the moment i i used to you know when i you know i worked at talksport for years and they had all these phone-ins the whole time and sometimes you'd find yourself you know, just talking ad nauseum about refereeing decisions. And I actually always found it quite boring. I was like, I'm sick to death. I don't care about refereeing decisions. I just turn up to watch a game. Now I find myself having more and more conversations like this because 
the perhaps because people used to complain so much about refereeing decisions, the powers that be, whoever they are, I don't actually know whether that where this comes from, whether it's all the way down from FIFA or what, but the the powers that be have tinkered so much with it that yeah. they're almost making the game it's almost like someone's willfully making it unwatchable. Yeah. Because absolutely. the the inability for instance, what is the greatest greatest thing about watching football it's the it's the second when the ball goes in the net right it's the the ecstasy that you feel when your team score yeah they've taken that away that is the usp of football that's the moment that they use footage of when they're making promos on sky to show the passion and emotion that surrounds this unique sport right those those seconds of like sheer joy and ecstasy that wash over us all right They've taken that away. Yeah, yeah. Far, they've taken that away because no goal, not even Lanzini's equaliser against Spurs, right? We all probably went a bit mad and then immediately kind of froze and looked and waited yes. for someone yeah. to say it's going to VAR, right? It was definitely the same. I mean, I was astonished that it didn't go to VAR with the goal on, on Saturday night because... You know, really, it should have done. Fulham, Fulham were unlucky there. Yeah, I mean, it was brought in, I think, perfectly, you know, justifiably to stop clear and obvious errors, Re- those real horrible howlers that are proper injustices. So, mm. for example, when Callum Wilson punches the ball into the net to, to deny us three points away at Bournemouth a few seasons ago, I would quite happily have had that goal disallowed yeah. because, you know, but it's turned out that we end up with something like Snodgrass's equaliser, that brilliant last-minute equaliser yeah. against uh, Sheffield, Sheffield United, United yeah. because the ball happened to be kicked into Declan Rice's hand about a minute earlier. Yeah. Yeah, um, and again, that's that's you know that's what Sam says. It's like it's it's um, it's not only um, making the game less enjoyable; it's actively spoiling it. Because yeah, spoiling what it. happened? Absolutely. What happened in that Sheffield United goal was that Rice sort of closed the ball down, and the Sheffield United player was unable to clear the ball because it hit Rice, and you know it sort of just the fact that it hit sort of his arm which was up against his body Rice had basically blocked the clearance then controlled the ball then played it through to Snodgrass and um, it was actually you know a good piece of play and a good piece of skill and it was um, not rewarded it was punished yeah absolutely you know yeah yeah it's it's uh, driving it's really I mean (laughs) Football's just mad now, isn't it? I mean, you know, we can't go. I mean, that's no one's yeah. fault, apart from that bloke who ate a bat. But, yeah. you know, like, we can't go, and we're watching this weird spectacle with fake crowd noise. It's like, it's like from a dystopian future. It is. You know, like, and, and, and the game is literally now being controlled by faceless, emotionless robots and algorithms, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like fucking, um, you know, Flash Gordon. Right, yeah. it's 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 just mad. It's like there's a sort of an an ominous kind of voice, like a Big Brother type voice that kind of comes out. The goal shall not stand. Yeah, yeah. Right, and you can't question it because it's just been it, it has been announced. You know, yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, it, it's hard, and and those great moments, they're they're still there. I mean, at the end of the day, you live for moments like Lanzini's equaliser. Yeah, yeah. Don't you? I mean, yeah. you, you live for those moments. And and so it's not like they've been eradicated completely. But in some ways, 
that the ecstasy we felt at that moment is a reminder of what it is we're fighting for here. Yeah, it works. I mean, it works despite the people that run it rather than because of them. Exactly right. Just yeah. to steer us back to the game, though. Um, I mean, did we learn anything from it? We we sort of said that perhaps this was a kind of, um, um, you know, last chance saloon for Allaire. Um, I, I certainly, uh, I, you know, he was okay. He didn't say yeah, he was okay. Either. He was okay. Didn't set the world on fire. I mean, I, I I thought Ben Rama looked good in his uh, very brief. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he yeah. looks tricksy and uh, and uh, you know I, I like the fact that he's always in space. You know, sign of a good player for me is you know attacking players. He was always in space demanding the ball. Yeah. Uh, um, as we said last week about Heller, so often Heller is marked. <laughs> he's like kind of mm-hmm. doesn't seem to make space for himself. However, and he, he looks so grumpy about it as well, doesn't he? When he's being yeah. marked, he's grumpy about everything. He's like, well, what am I supposed to do? There's a man <laughs> yeah. standing next to me. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah. he sulks about everything. He's like, well, uh, I'm not used to this in, in Frankfurt. No one marked me. Now these <laughs> men, they mark me. It's disgusting. Right? It's like, well, yeah. mate. It's no one else's fault. That's how I feel like when I watch him. I just keep feeling like I just want to shout the telly. Look, stop blaming everyone else. You look so yeah. pink, cutting. He's rolling his eyes. He's shrugging his shoulders. It's like, mate, just get on with it. Get yeah. on with what you're being paid for. Stop I, complaining. I think yeah. Moyes is watching him, and I, I think I think he's not a Moyes player. I, I think his days are numbered. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them try try to shift him in January, at least possibly on loan with an option to buy somewhere and bring a striker in. Um, who's I mean, I'd take Josh King over Haller now. I, I I can see Haller go. Leave, I mean, you know, I'm not writing the bloke off. I can see him leaving going back to Germany or going to France or wherever and, and having a successful career because, you know, you can see he's, he's got talent, but something's not right. It's a bit like Felipe Hansen. We knew he had talent, but yeah. in the end, you sort of think it's never going to work here for you because yeah. it's just that something is not right. And psychologically, you kind of checked out a bit. And you're feeling a little bit poor me about it. Well, that's what I thought about both of them. Yeah. Well, they start to be a bit like, oh, not my fault. And you're like, you just have to, you know, I am not seeing, listen, I'm not seeing bloody Robert Snodgrass, right, who was bought, then booted out to Villa, slagged off by our own owners in the press, yeah. right, <laughs> yeah. then reluctantly brought back to West Ham, played his way into the team, scored goals, created goals, but still got repeatedly dropped, right? Even after playing blinders, right? Was dropped, was played out of position. I have never once seen him come on the pitch looking anything other than totally committed and happy to be there. Quite right. He comes yeah. up and applauds the fans at the end of the yeah. game. You know, Jared, quite a touchstone for the fans. Yeah, Jared, Jared Bowen's arrived from Hull. He can't believe that he's there. He's like, this is amazing. I'm in the Premier League. He yeah. is running like about three marathons in every game, that kid, yeah. you know. Yeah. It, um, and, and he's never complained about anything, right? These people are coming on silly money from abroad. And because, I don't know what their problem is, what, it's a bit rough and tumble, what they thought that West Ham, they were confused and thought West Ham were a Champions League team and they'd be playing surrounded by players like Kevin De Bruyne, right? Uh, and that we'd be attacking teams in every game, right? 
That's that. You you know what you came here for. Now get on with it. You don't. You can't complain. You should feel. You should feel gutted, but only with yourself. You know. Yeah. Do do. I mean, do we think that? I mean, do do strikers have to be big blokes? It's like you know, can't can't there be a front three of um, Ben Rama, uh, Bowen, and Four Nows? You know, it's like Cotty and Macaveni weren't big, and and Mane, Salah, and Firmino are not big. You know, Nora and Jesus, Sterling and Aguero. No, that's right. So, I, I mean, I yeah, don't... Yeah, I guess it's different. We, 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 we play talking. differently, though, don't we? I mean... I suppose so, yeah. You know, Firmino, they, they've had, they have a linchpin in Firmino. He's not necessarily big, but he is... Bloody hell, the three of them are tough. I mean, Mane is a strong, tough player, as well as being extremely skillful. Though, yeah. But I just think that they're different sorts of players, and I also think they play different systems. We, we want a player who can the ball can be played up to and he can stand with his back to goal and hold people off and lay it off and then turn. Which, you know, Antonio, there's no one in the Premier League I'd currently choose over Antonio to perform that role. I think he's almost the perfect player in that position. Um, but Haller seems to have got it in his head that, it's, well, it's not really how I played at my old club, so I don't see why I should be asked to play. But it's not like we're asking you to play fullback, mate. Yeah, exactly. To play exactly. in the same position that you've always played in, but in a slightly different system. Is the are you the sort of player who's going to say, "Yeah, I will sign for your club and I'll take your hundred grand a week"? But I should say now, I'm not willing to change my style of play at all to um, <laughs> how I've already been playing at Eintracht Frankfurt with a different coach and a different set of players. And that's why you're signing me. Ultimately, you're signing me on the basis of what I did at Eintracht Frankfurt. So. If you want to, me to play at your club, I suggest you change everything to be just like it was at Eintracht Frankfurt when I was there. Sure. And if not, the fault is entirely yours for me not playing well. But yeah, yeah. But the other side of the coin is sort of like not sort of uh, you can't go we can't start playing until we get Callum Wilson he's exactly the sort of player we need to fit really? this you know I mean mm. I think there's a degree to which I mean for a start we did convert um a player we okay, had yeah. to be a kind of central striker because because the Antonio I remember from two years ago couldn't control a ball that came at him from distance and sort of keep it under control and bring someone in. But he's really learned that in that sort of last, you know, just the last... This is why David Moyes is the greatest coach in the league because he's done it with... Um, he did, and he turned up before we were going down. He took over from Bilic. Uh, we lacked uh, a decent striker. He looked at the squad and he thought, right, that bloke who plays on the wing and out of it is shit, but maybe, but he's big. So maybe I could convert him to a striker. So he did in the space of about three weeks and he became brilliant up front. He came back and out of it, you've gone. He thought, I'll do the same thing again. This time I'll do it with Antonio. He's done yeah. the same thing again. Yeah, so yeah. maybe you're right. Maybe you should just do it to Bowen. <laughs> Um, I, I think Phil, you're right. I think I think you can adapt the way you play, and I think you could you could um, play with you know, need a tall target man. Um, particularly if you've got um, the kind of kind of energy and uh, um, movement off the ball that you get from um, a Bowen and a Fornals and a yeah. Ben Rama. So I think I think it's something. We you might well you might well look mm. you might well look to because um, we don't exactly bang it long. I don't think we've sort of no. I don't think we've seen many shots from you know like thirty yards 
up towards their penalty area in the hope that some large central player controls it. I don't think we really do that much anymore. No, I mean, we we crossed the ball. We we got, the, yeah. we got the ball. We got the ball out wide and crossed it. That might partly be to do with trying to find Ale, but the crossing just wasn't wasn't up to the mark, was it? No. There was a couple of great balls in. There was a great cross from deep from Cresswell. He really does hit those deep crosses really, yeah. really well. The one for Antonio to score at Leicester. Yeah. He did it again. And Bowen probably should have done better with a header. Um, uh, it was probably actually of all the kind of chances, the, you know, the, the, in that first uh, phase of the game that was the best. Um, but I've got a, a shout out for Cresswell, by the way, while we're... Yes. I mean, he's uh, early shout. I mean, he's in the front running for Hammer of the Year for me at the moment. He's just playing superbly well in that position. Yeah. Um, creating yeah. things as well. And he seems to have got, you know, that confidence back on the ball. Because um, he hasn't got a kind of uh, constantly run to keep up playing playing left back, whereas they no. were beginning to kind of tell on him, weren't they? Yeah, um, yeah. Age was starting to yeah, that big injury. Yeah, exactly. And Balbuena, Balbuena is having a fantastic season so far, isn't he? You know, yeah. um, extraordinary. You, you know, who'd have thought it? <laughs> I thought it was um, really for poor old Luckman. It was the ultimate humiliation that, you know, Balbuena, an, an opposition player, came over to comfort him well, after his nice, penalty. Though, it? Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. yeah, but it's a you know you know that you're you, you're in deep shit when the opposition <laughs> are coming over to sympathise, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah the amount that Luckman was uh, shaking his head ruefully, I wondered. I mean, I think he might still be shaking his head ruefully. He literally shaked his head ruefully the entire walk off the pitch. And was disappearing yeah. down the tunnel, like one of those nodding dogs in the back of a car, but sort of uh, horizontally rather than vertically. <laughs> um, yeah, but I liked. Um, I thought Ben Rama, like you say, Jim, he he um, made himself available all the time. You know, he'd come he'd come deep, pick it up because he knew that kind of Lanzini was ahead of him. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and the little move where. Um, Cresswell played a nutmeg pass for him to get into the yeah. box, and he had that sort of double chance. You know, obviously tight, the angle was tight, but you know that looked that looked really promising, didn't it? That kind of a the link up, but also the way in which he takes people on and has clearly got great feet. So, yeah, I don't, I'm looking I don't know. forward to I, seeing I him play more. I don't know much about him, but uh, I know that Craig Clemson on the Facebook page went, you know, has, has obviously kind of seen a bit of him on Sky and kind of went, this guy is a real player. And, and I think we, you know, we do have, uh, we've managed to acquire uh, two of the guys that really tore the championship up last season, which was mm. Owen and Ben Rama. And, yeah. um, you know, so I'd like to see him sort of, uh, you know, sort of thrown in and get a lot of game time. Because it's hard you know. to know. It's hard to know. I mean, you know, maybe the system that you two both said. Uh, what? Maybe that is the solution. Maybe Haller's the full guy, and that that's the way you can play them both. Is to have, you'd probably have to switch four nows to the right, Bowen in the middle, and Ben Rama on the left. I guess Possibly, you know yeah. because four nows. That he's not going to drop four nows because four nows Moyes it's loves, I reckon. It's the energy. It's the energy. Yeah. And the, you know, the way exactly. And, and, and he sometimes, you know, he sometimes fails to deliver if he has a goal-scoring opportunity or something like that. But he just gives his all. And that's the sort of player that Moyes is going to love. He's not going to drop him. You could, and, uh, uh, plus as, you, plus you as could. well. I'm not sure what a left side, the left side of a team that would have Masuaku and Ben Rama. Right, 
yeah. really similar players, right? Both, you know, right fancy Dans who love a trick, right? Who are likely to, you know, just as likely to sort of thrill you with an incredible skill as they are to just give a goal away with some sort of ludicrous, you know, loss of possession. Yeah. Um, but I love them. Yeah, I love Masuaku and I get the strong sense I'm going to love Ben Rama as well. But I'm not sure it feels like a Moyes move to play those two in Possibly tandem not. down the left side. You could um, you could tweak the formation slightly by playing with a more of a kind of front two and one and uh, somebody in the hole, as it were, in a kind of number ten. Yeah, I mean, I actually can't quite you see know. how our front three operates. I feel that um, I feel that Fornells is a bit deeper than the others i feel that you know because he covers a lot of the pitch i sort of feel that you know without sort of officially being kind of the number 10 or something that he's in that spot uh, more so than the other two not in a kind of playmaker way though is he i mean no. it's, it's it, i mean he's he's just That's everywhere what we thought. Isn't he? when we signed him we thought he was going to be a number 10 playmaker didn't we yeah i think yeah, that's what not. his reputation was but again maybe moises has worked on him said that if you want to be in this team this is the way I want you to play. And he's thought, all right, fine. It's better than sitting on the bench. And he's yeah. and he's thrown himself into it in a way that other players like Hilaire and Anderson haven't. And I think that's what's gone down at West Ham. I think he's rocked up and said, this is the way it's going to be. Are you up for it or not? And the players who aren't, well, some of them have been shipped out already. And, you know, I think, yeah, Hilaire might be the, the next one on the list. And some of them have stepped up and thought, yeah, I'm, I'm up for this. And, Four nows is probably the best example of that. That's right. Yeah. Well, as, we've, as we've said, um, uh, you know, it, in, in you know this run of good performances in the early part of this season and the, the latter part of last season, they look like uh, they believe in the system. Mm. You know, it looks like there's there's a basic set of instructions that they all understand, and not only do they understand it, they sort of like it. Yeah, and they like Moyes. That's the other thing. I think there's yeah. a connection between Moyes and the players. You know, you can see that when they score a goal, they run over to him. Declan Rice clearly likes him. You know, they've got belief. And there's that strong bench as well with, you know, Alan Irvin and Kevin Nolan, Stuart Pearce. You get the sense that this is like a serious, for the first time in a long time, there is a serious coaching set up. Yeah, with, with with a bunch of guys who the players take really seriously and are and are up for following into battle. Well, know? when yeah. we had um, when we had Collins on the on the podcast uh, and um, you know we went to the pub with him afterwards, we talked to him a lot that evening. And uh, at the time, Pellegrini, you know, was the manager and we were playing quite well. Um, but still, in talking about past managers, uh, Collins said the thing about Moyes was the training was really good. Yeah. You know? It was like he really gave you sort of instructions. He was doing a bit of coaching. Um, yeah. the, the, session, the sessions were sort of enjoyable. Um, mm. You know, he said he was, you know, the, one of the best coaches he's really ever worked. interesting, yeah. I, I, I mean, caught um, late night one of those kind of sky, random sky, here's someone's career in the Premier League kind of thing, and it was Stuart Pearce. Right. And um, uh, he was speaking really highly of Moyes as a coach, as a as an as his knowledge of football. Um, yeah. It was you know he went out of his way to say how he, you know how he loves working with him and and learns a lot from him. Mm. So you know I I think um, I, I think what we're seeing is a team that is looking increasingly as though it's quite hard to beat. Yeah. Um, yeah. Didn't really yeah. give Fulham much of a sniff in that game. They had one chance where they where they 
you know, they got they got through the defence, didn't they, in yeah. the second half. Um, and the defence is starting to kind of tighten up and, and work effectively. Uh, and we have got goals in us. We, we threat, we look a threat. Even, you know, I felt we were unambitious against Liverpool. And, yeah. and we, 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 you know, we threatened when we went forward and we didn't go forward enough. Yeah. I think with Fulham, some people have said we were unambitious. I just thought second half, we didn't, we didn't quite have the wit and wisdom to break them down. And he brought on those two create more creative players that's it. quite early that, in the half. Yeah. That's exactly it. I mean, I thought second half, when they just sat deep and they felt they weathered the storm, I actually thought that we started to overly rely on Kufau crossing deep from yes. the right. Yeah. In a sort of the way that England, it reminded me of when England and David Beckham was in the team and we yeah. had one idea for years, which was get the ball to Bex and he'll put in a cross, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you know, Kufau does have a decent cross, but it, we were getting nowhere with, with it and it was just too no. predictable for them. But what was wonderful was the fact that we have a squad whereby if that route's not working, we can go, well, we're going to bring on these two extremely good skillful players you know two players who can beat people Ben Rama can beat them with skill Lanzini used to be able to do that but can't really do that anymore but he can still pick a pass in yeah, his good moments yeah. and so it's great but I tell you what the other thing is although this team has attacking threats and has been scoring a lot of goals this season and, and you know we always look like we've got goals in us the other thing is we look like a nightmare team to play against if you look at you know, the two lads we got in midfield, right? Nightmare. Not just because they're big and strong and good at football. It's just like, they're just so, that you know, they're just so confident in the way they play. When we get yeah. possession, those two just look up and they ping the ball around one, two touches, right? They know, they've they got courage and they just, yeah. like, play the ball quickly and disorientate the other side. But then at the back, you know, you got Balbuena, Fabianski, Creswell and Bonga. Cresswell and O'Bonner have both captained West Ham on numerous occasions. Fabianski is, is is a leader, right? Balbuena's nickname, I believe, is the general or the captain yeah. or something like that, isn't it? So he's a real leader of, of his national team, right? And then you've got Rice and Suchik. I mean, this is a team of, like, you know, people who you don't really want to come up against. They are not a team who are going to, like, crumble when the going yeah, gets tough. Yeah, and stick Antonio at the top of it, and yeah. then it becomes yeah. really nightmarish to play against. I agree, absolutely. Um, so what do you think? I, um, uh, we've got an international break, and uh, then we've got Sheffield United. What do we think? Uh, what do we think about that game? Uh, um, think they'll put uh, they'll they'll put in a legal action after whatever. <laughs> I, I, I think what they do is, is that they approach it the same way that Trump approached Pennsylvania yeah. and Georgia. Exactly. You get your team of lawyers there first in advance. You start <laughs> building the case before the crime's actually been committed. Yeah, because that exactly. way you're ready and you can move quickly. <laughs> and I believe that's what Sheffield United do for all their games. I mean, yes. I, I think presumably against us they ramp it up a bit. Yeah. But I think I think that's what they always do. They have a big team of like you know they've got more lawyers on their books than they lawyer like, than up. players they, they have, yeah they lawyer up yeah lawyering up is the uh, i think the expression in football in yeah. modern football is lawyering up yeah mm. so they'll be ready for if, in a legal sense this will be probably our toughest challenge yet this season absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's just a shame that games can now be outcomes are decided all too often in the courts and not on the pitch. Yeah. Kevin Nolan and Stuart Pearce are down the library as we speak. 
<laughs> um, I saw a shot of Stuart Pearce, which I thought it was rather ostentatious of him, wearing a wig like that of a barrister to training at Rush Green. <laughs> right, right. Um, but he was like, David's asked us all to come dress like this this week ahead of the Sheffield United game. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think when the when the referee when the referee does the coin toss, um, Dave Rice will say, "I put it to you that we say <laughs> Taylor." <Yeah. laughs> uh, he's not blowing a whistle; he's got a gavel. Yeah, that's right. yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's <laughs> a good time to pull oh, ref objection. <laughs> Sustained. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, I think it's a good time to play them, isn't it? I mean, they're a bit of a bogey team for us. Um, it feels like there is a little bit of a hoodoo because they rinsed us so badly in the courtroom that yeah. we've never been able to psychologically recover when we play them. But I do think they look like they're struggling. And I would say we are the better team at the moment. Uh, but ordinarily, I think oh, we've got to go all the way up to bloody Sheffield, classic West Ham capitulation. But like I say, we're a tough side now, aren't we? I think we've got a great leader in Declan Rice who kind of, you know, I think I think Declan Rice. If we, you know, my own limited, very limited experience of playing football. If you're going out and you're confident that the bloke who's leading you out is most likely to be the best player in the game, right? Like it must have been when Ger- when yeah. Gerrard was captain of Liverpool, right? Yeah. Or Bobby Moore, captain of West Ham. You go out and go. No matter what happens in this game, that guy is going to dominate. He's going to yeah. dominate. He's going to be the loudest. He's going to be the alpha figure on the pitch, right? He's going to yeah. want the ball more than anyone else. He's going to get it more than anyone else. He's going to win the ball more than anyone else. He's the main man in this game. And if he's leading you out onto the pitch, that must make you feel a bit like we can we can do this because he's not going to go hiding. So we're all right behind him. I think he's only young, Declan Rice, but I look at him. I think he's that sort of player already. He's, he's our Brian Robson, you know? Yeah, he is, yeah. Um, uh, that's that in a way is why people in a very shit and uh, uh, misfiring West Ham team of like 2010 thought Scott Parker was the captain. Yeah, when he was wasn't. The best yeah. yeah, in fact, um, Scott Parker um, in his post-match interviews is now um, there's a thing of a sort of recent ex-players like Tim Sherwood. They're quite they. Um, they're quite loud and sort of opinionated and uh, slightly borderline mad. And yes. I think um, I think Scott Parker is starting to seem yeah. a little <laughs> bit mad. But the best, I, I agree, the best example of that, though, is definitely Frank Lampard, who I've had a little bit, I won't tell you what bookmakers, but I have had a bet on him pulling a complete Keegan before the end of the season, right? I think this is a man, and, you know, listen, I'm not going to make light of mental health issues. It's a subject that I and everyone take seriously now. However, I worry for Frank. I think Frank is on a knife edge. And I think think that Frank is going to blow before the end of the season because I think the pressure on Frank is immense because last season he hid behind the lie that Chelsea were an impoverished team. Yeah, who had yeah. somehow managed to cobble together an 11 from people they just knew, you know, mates and relatives and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. And they, oh, well, we're just happy to be here, despite the fact that they had millions of pounds worth of talent bought by their Russian billionaire, right? Yeah. Now, he can't hide behind that in the least because they've gone out and they've spent all that money on half the Bundesliga. And 
he is every game there will be after every game so far and I've been monitoring him closely because like I say I worry about him and and he is every game he's had the ump about something quite seriously right he's and and he and he loses it he never smiles he gets angry with the officials he gets angry with the other managers I looked at Scott Parker and to, to go back to your point the, clear, the, the easiest way of me describing my thoughts about Scott Parker in his post-match interview was this lad showing worrying signs of Lampardism. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. They, even, they even have a similar demeanour, slightly head boyish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting, isn't it? I wonder, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, where? how do you think this will manifest itself? Do you, can you see before the end of the season uh, Lampard taking a hostage? <laughs> well... Perhaps, yeah, I'm not ruling that out. Uh, there's yeah. one thing that I have always thought a manager will do one day. And if anyone does it, it will be Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard is the head boy to, who would grass up everyone, right, for even the tiniest crimes, because his main agenda was to be favoured by the headmaster, right? Right. Um, he wants to be taken very seriously now he's a manager. He recently complained that no one took him. He actually complained that no one took him seriously enough because he was English, <laughs> and that he was he, he had some like pathetic stat like I'm actually only the third manager to have managed a top four English side beyond eighteen months over the last twelve years or some bullshit thing <laughs> that he was really like trying to clear a stat that he'd sat up late working out himself trawling the internet right so that reflected well on how well he'd done at Chelsea and he said people didn't take him seriously because he was British and it was a real shame right yeah um, I've had nothing I've never had nothing I've never I've had to fight for everything I've got I mean all I had was a dad and an uncle who <laughs> ran Premier League football team and gave me a chance to play for it in the first team that's all I ever had and all the way through my life, I've had to fight battles to overcome the battle. Anyway, he's complaining about that, right? He wants to be taken seriously. Here's what I think Frank Lampard might do. And this will be the early warning signs to so look out for it. I think Frank Lampard's going to become the first football manager in the Premier League to stand on the touchline inexplicably holding a briefcase. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you'd be like, you know what? Someone at that point, when he turns out, he'll, he'll be wearing a suit and, and a briefcase with the combination lock, right? And no one will have the guts to say, "Frank, mate, what's in the suit? What's in the briefcase?" Right? They won't have. They won't have the guts to ask him. They'll just sort of everyone will look at it, and then someone. You remember that time when Lineker looked over to the bench when Gaza started crying in Italian yeah. ninety? Yeah. You know that little gesture that Lineker does, where he goes, "Have a word with him." He yeah. says it to Bobby Robson, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Just bear a word with him like that or keep an eye on him. Yeah. That's, Jody Morris will do that to someone. Like, he'll <laughs> yeah. do it to someone from the, like, higher ups, you know, from to Abramovich's henchman in the stands. They'll look at the briefcase and they'll go, have a word with him. He's gone. <laughs> He's gone. He's finished. His right. yeah. head's, head's yeah. gone. What's in the briefcase? Fucking hell. God knows. Nothing, probably. <laughs> Just yeah. empty. That's what uh, that's what we should do against Sheffield United. Is uh, uh, Kevin Nolan, Stuart Pearce, and David Moyes should all come onto the pitch with briefcases and sit at a big oak table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and formally click. You know the way you click open the briefcase with your thumbs. 
Yeah. And the, and the locks go click upwards and then you very formally open it and take out your papers. Yeah. That's how the game should commence. You should bring a stenographer who just takes notes on the game. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, Listen, we, it's worth should, it. It's worth probably it. wrap this up fairly soon. So perhaps predictions for the Sheffield United game, which isn't for a while. It's the 22nd of November, I think. Yeah. Uh, what do you think might happen in that game? Jim? Um, well, hopefully uh, Antonio will be back. But oh. um, if not, I hope he does something along the lines that you've suggested. And that is going to go with a kind of more mobile... Uh, Trixie front three. Oh, he never listens um, to me. No, well, you never know. I think it, it probably tunes in. Um, I'm, ah, I'm struggling to. I, I do. I, I think we are difficult to beat. I think they are struggling a little bit, and I think we owe them one. Really owe them one. Rice will get the boys up for this because they that was bitter that that game last year. Yeah. So uh, two 0 We're going to win it two 0 2-0. Yep. Sam, what do you reckon? I was going to say 2-0, but you have a rule on this show, don't you? you can't. can't have, no, I can't. Okay. All right. In that case, I will say 2-1 West Ham. Right, right. Uh, is it up there? It is. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. Um, Sheffield United 1, West Ham United 3. Whoa! Yeah. All right. Yeah. Love I'm it. Going, I'm going big. But 2-2 uh, two, two on appeal. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, that's uh, we've covered a lot of subjects this podcast, which is very good because we only had one game of football to talk. I, about. I tell you what, I'm still I still can't get over the revelation that Peter Butterworth was married to the um, yeah. I just think that is they were very much the posh and becks of seventies Britain. I mean. Talk about, you know, fuck Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. This was the entertainment power couple of the era. And somehow I was unaware of them. Yes. Yeah. 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 And um, it must have been a laugh a minute in their household. Imagine being one of their kids if they had yeah. kids. I mean, absolutely brilliant. Just nonstop fun and antics. Who must have come round all the time? Cannon and Ball? Would have been around yeah. all the time. All the double acts, little and large. All yeah. the impersonators, probably yeah. Yarwood. Michael right. Bernie Winters. Snorbits. I would love to read the memoir of the children, the offspring of Janet Brown and Peter Butterworth. I'm just reading now to try and see if they've had children. I can't. Oh, yes. Their son. Tyler Butterworth became, Tyler. also became an actor and uh-huh. is married to the actress. It does, they've done it again. Janet Dibley. Right? So, yes, I would like to... Um, it's a dynasty. I would, like, I would like to read the memoir of Tyler Butterworth to get some insight into what that home was like. I mean, yes. it must have been brilliant. Uh, let's approach him to write his autobiography. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am. I have just finished uh, our guest last week, uh, Alex Montague's uh, ghost story involving West Ham United, uh, the Iron Circle, which oh. I recommend. And I'm just about to read. Um, uh, I never read autobiographies, but I'm going to read one of Mar- by Marty Feldman. Oh, All right. Okay. Yeah. I, I like. Oh, let me know about that. I like an autobiography. I'm reading the autobiography of Arsene Wenger. In fact, I'm ah. not reading it. I'm listening to it on an audio book while I'm running, and <laughs> it is the most Arsene Wengery book you can imagine. Turns out Arsene Wenger is exactly 
as we all imagined. He speaks only in Gallic philosophical language um, uh, uh, about football. It's, it's absolutely pleasurable. It's almost like meditation listening to it. Does he read it? Uh, yes. Oh, and right. He reads it very much as if it is Jean Cleese doing an impression of a Frenchman. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's literally full of things like, it was in those rainy afternoons spent in my family's bistro in Alsace, watching the men smoke their shitan and talk about what it meant to be a human, that I really learned what life meant to me, right? It's just non-stop sort of brilliant. abstract philosophical meditations all the way through. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I should read that. Um, excellent. Well, that's it for this week's Stop Hammer Time. Um, we've got Sheffield United in a couple of weeks, as we say, and we'll probably see you after that game. Uh, my name is Phil Whelans. With me have been Jim Grant. Cheerio. And Sam Delaney. Ta-da. Come on, you irons. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.